Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I am your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. And today, we got a Q&A, but before we get into that, we're going to do our uh, shout-out of the day, the freebie of the day, and I think instead of doing a blog or anything like that, we're going to do, uh, we mentioned this at the end of one of the recent podcasts, so you may or may not have noticed if you listen to the whole thing, I hope you do, um, but... We're giving you a free seven-day trial into the tailored trainer. So this is something that um, we've only given to members uh, who are doing nutrition with us and stuff like that. Like it's always been an exclusive thing, but I really want to start offering it to the people of the podcast because um, I've had a lot of people who have messaged me over the last however many months asking questions, and I end up just giving it to them because I'm like answering their question, answering their question. And I'm like, you know what? Just take this seven-day free trial. You're going to fucking love it. I know you will because there's really nothing out there like this. And if you like my content, if you like my training style, if you like my training methods, this is the one place that you can get that. And there's no other membership like training app or training membership that gives you such a wide variety of training styles and training programs. Most of them have like a couple options. Like, okay, you're doing this CrossFit app. So you have the workout of the day. Or you're doing this uh, person's thing and they have like, four day, five day or six day, but it's the same exact style of training, right? There's, it's just four day, five day, six day. There's no uh, male or female. There's no um, full body or split or upper lower or whatever. And the tailor trainer, we do all that. So there's 20 plus programs and they're all 12 plus weeks long. Some of them are 24 weeks. Um, you can cycle through these and literally have actually Dennis, uh, Ariel's husband, he's, he's running through it. He's doing the first form challenge. He's doing uh, everything tailored to get through it. But he, uh, he calculated, it was like, uh, I don't remember how long he said it was like a year and it was like two years and something months or something like that worth of training. So basically like you can literally be set for training for so fucking long. It's insane. And that's assuming you never repeat a workout or a program, but that would be stupid. You should repeat some of the programs because sometimes you do a 12 week program, then go into another program. You come back to that 12 week program and you're actually going to do better because of it. Uh, but uh, point being seven day free trial after seven days is $27 a month, but you can cancel at any time. I highly suggest jumping in guys. We're constantly adding stuff to this and uh, now's your chance to give it a test, see how great it could be and take your training to uh, another level without any risk um, at all. And you can head over to tailoredtrainer.net. Um, the, the links on there will take you to the seven day free trial. We also have a link in the description of this podcast. Now today we got a Q and a, so we got a wide variety of questions. We got a whole bunch of questions. So we're going to get through as many as we can. Um, dude, let's just get into the first one. Absolutely. So the first one comes from Anya civic it says, how important would chrononutrition be for maintenance? I would say my meals are pretty balanced over the day, but I have a smaller breakfast due to eating lunch at work around 1130. I usually train slash move somewhere around 6 to 8 p.m. and eat a reasonably sized dinner of 5 to 650 kcal. But due to cooking, getting home, etc., I usually get to eat around 9.30 p.m. and go to sleep around 11. The 70% of my daily intake is consumed by 6 p.m. What Would it be optimal to rearrange my calories differently? No, because of where your training is. So this, this is where, like, so for people listening, Chrono Nutrition, um, we have a podcast with Danny Lennon on it. There's some good content out there. There's a lot of good research on it. It's a newer uh, thing in the nutrition space. And essentially what it is, it's, it's eating based on your circadian biology, so your circadian rhythm and uh, how your body physiologically acts and responds due to 
the time of day, essentially, the, the, the clock that your body goes through, sleep and sunlight exposure, stuff like that, um, it can be very beneficial. But the th- it's also, it's like creatine, right? If somebody asks me, like, well, can I get results without creatine? Absolutely. Right? Can I get better results with creatine? Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not a steroid. It's not going to, like, supercharge you. But over time, you'll see, a, you'll see a difference, you know? So I think it's one of those things where, now, Anya, I've seen uh, your Instagram for, we've, we've talked, and I think we've worked with you as well. So um, I believe we have, and I could be completely wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure, unless there's another Anya, um, I'm it's, pretty it's sure, her. yeah, I'm pretty sure we have a, a great testimonial of you on our website. So you've worked with us, you are lean, um, you said you're at maintenance. If I didn't know your schedule, I would say you're the perfect person to use um, chrononutrition because chrononutrition is great for somebody at maintenance who wants to take it to another level and doesn't want to dive into a deficit. They just want to optimize their hormones. They want to optimize their productivity and their mental clarity throughout the day. And they want to optimize digestion um, and body composition because of digestion, brain function, hormones, metabolism, so on and so forth. Because there is research that shows... um, your metabolism will be benefited if you use chrononutrition. Essentially what they did is they took two groups and they did regular eating and then they did, um, I believe, intermittent fasting as well, like a classic style where you skip breakfast and, and then eat later in the day. And then they did chrononutrition style, which is the complete opposite of a 16-8 style fast. You might still fast 16, 12 to 16 hours, but your largest meal is in the morning and then you, you eat less as the day goes on. And at the end of the day, you have your smallest meal, which is at least a few hours before bed. Um, so it's literally intermittent fasting, the, the classic style of intermittent fasting flipped around on its head. Um, and what they found is that individuals could maintain their weight on a higher maintenance. So basically what that means, we could potentially lose weight on higher maintenance. So um, if I have somebody who struggles with adherence to a deficit, if I have somebody who's at maintenance, doesn't want to go into deficit, but wants to slowly but surely improve their health and body composition, I will definitely recommend it. The hard part is it's, it's difficult for social aspects. I'm way better at classic intermittent fasting, which is less beneficial, and that's eating, uh, like skipping breakfast. If I like, I don't necessarily propone, like I'm not a intermittent faster necessarily, but I would do better with skipping breakfast and then having more of my food at night because I like to have a big dinner with my family. I like to have dessert at night. You can't do new chrononutrition and do that. I could eat dinner and be done. So I would have to skip uh, my dessert, my protein ice cream, which I fucking love. And you see how many people ask me about that? I'm like, yeah, Yeah. sorry. It's hilarious. Um, interesting topic. Yeah. I was like, I mentioned it once and it was like recipe, recipe, recipe. I was like, dope. Um, my wife gives me shit for this. <laughs> this is awesome. But, uh, but no, I would have to skip that. I don't want to skip that. It's like a, that's something I enjoy sitting down watching whatever we're watching right now. We're watching outer banks, which Thomas recommended to us. Yep. Sick. Um, and, uh, and I eat my protein ice cream. It's like my nightly routine. So I don't want to skip that. So chronic nutrition wouldn't work for me. But if I did feel okay skipping that, I would do it because it would benefit me. I would be able to maintain at a higher calorie. I'd probably work better and function better, digest better. Um, but I, I would say for you, your training schedule is, and this is the hard part too, tr- optimal training time tends to be between 3 to 5 p.m. So if you're going to do, and this is just based on research, if you're going to do chrononutrition and train at the most optimal time, you would have to basically have a post-workout dinner and be done, mm-hmm. right, um, for the day. Stop eating at like 6, let's say, and then you fast until um, 6, 8, or 10 a.m. the next day and start eating and you have a 8 to 12-hour window. Um, one of the big uh, digestive benefits of doing chrononutrition is not necessarily, I mean, there is a factor of the time window because eating uh, further away from bed is actually beneficial, which is funny because for a long time we were like, that's a myth. You can eat anytime day. It's just calories. Mm. 
there's some evidence to show like you actually probably should give yourself at least a few hours, if not more before bed. But, um, that 12 plus hour fasting window is what's beneficial. And it's really just giving your, it's, it's giving your digestive system a break, right? You're eating every three to four hours. Your body's constantly working on digesting, absorbing nutrients. Give it a break. So that 12 hour period or more, it's just giving your body a break. I try to do 12 hours cause that's pretty manageable, like nine to nine, eight to eight, 10 to 10. Like you can manage that. And it's not like a crazy intermittent fasting. And that's good for digestion. But um, a lot of the other benefits come from the time window. And if your training window, this training schedule you have right now, which I think she said was in the evening, right? It was like 7 p.m. or something, 6 p.m.? Yeah. Um, If that's your situation and that's what you got to do because of work or whatever, I don't think I would stress about chrononutrition. I think it's splitting hairs at that point. What's most important is consistency. So if you feel best doing that, if it's less stressful for you to train at that window, you don't have to rearrange your whole schedule, anything like that. Keep doing what you're doing. There's no point in worrying about that. Um, if you want to try your hardest to give yourself a little bit more room before bed, not necessarily chrononutrition, but giving yourself more time between eating and digesting and sleep, which would be beneficial. Um, I would just try to pre-prep your meal. So when you come home, it's ready for you instead of having to cook when you get home. But if you enjoy going home, throwing on a podcast, cooking, having a fresh meal, which I do, don't do it. Don't worry about it. Go on a walk after you do it because that's going to help lower blood glucose levels. It's going to improve insulin sensitivity and digestion. Going on a 10 to 30 minute walk post meal, do that. You know, that's, that's a way to help digestion before bed. Um, But yeah, I think, I think chrononutrition is a great thing. I think it's, if it doesn't, and this is the same with intermittent fasting, it's, if it helps your adherence, it's worth doing it. Yeah. Chrononutrition has more benefits than intermittent fasting, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, that's that. And I mean, there's, there's benefits to intermittent fasting, you know, uh, riding the cortisol wave in the morning, if you can control your stress levels throughout the rest of the day, can help your productivity, you know? So, I mean, there's benefits there. It can get out of hand and cause more stress if you're not smart with it. But um, chrononutrition is great. I would study up more and more, but I wouldn't change your schedule or how you're doing things just yeah. to try to do that it's not gonna make that big of a difference totally all right cool next one comes from jesse Hermiller. says training tempo is it important how to use it and when to use it so if we look at the muscle and strength pyramids which was created by eric helms uh years ago i think he originally did like 2012 and now there's a book about it and everything and i would highly recommend she's a new trainer she she mentioned in the the original question go get that book if you don't have the muscle and strength pyramids you need to get it because that's going to really teach you about the hierarchy of importance. When we talk about body composition change and what matters most and in the sequence that matters most, and tempo is literally the second to last thing. Rest periods is the, the final thing, I think. Um, or it might be vice versa. But it's like the least important. So if your volume, intensity, frequency, and program design, all that, that's locked in. Your periodization is locked in. Um, your exercise selection is, is solid for the individual. Um, you got all those fundamental blocks, then you can consider rest periods and tempo. And rest periods for strength training, I just want to make this briefly known, far less important than rest periods for conditioning. Mm. Conditioning is about heart rate variability, which means if you're trying to vary your heart rate in specific manners, it means that you need to program specific rest periods or rest based on where your heart rate's at in order to program the intervals correctly to get the desired effect. It's a different type of training. Strength training, on the other hand, you, you can rest two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. You're probably going to be fine either way. In fact, if you rest three or four minutes, you're probably going to be better because you get more rest, which means you can lift heavier. If you lift heavier, there's more volume. You're going to build more muscle versus the old school way of thought is if we rest less, we have more blood staying in the muscle between sets and there's more time under tension, which we later found out was just not as important and it was diminishing our ability to have enough volume to grow because 
you're just gassed. Yeah. You're fatigued. You still have a pump. How am I supposed to do another set? Yeah. Um, but with tempos, like there's, there's, you know, a long time ago we, we thought negatives were super important because negatives create more muscle damage. So, and they do have their place. And I think it's more neurological than muscle specific. And I'd have to get Brandon on here to talk about this to know for sure. But, um, basically what was once said is, and this is true, negatives create more muscle damage. So you see more micro tears in the muscle tissue. Well, we thought muscle damage was much more important for muscle growth. So therefore, if we do long negatives, it creates more tears, which means we have to rebuild, which means we build more muscle. So everybody was constantly doing super slow negatives all the time. Um, we found out later that muscle damage actually isn't that important. Again, it's volume intensity and, and how often you're stimulating it. So volume intensity and frequency tend to be the most important things for muscle growth um, and body composition change. Negatives are better from a neurological perspective, in my opinion, because there's, there's a gap where you're benching and benching and benching. And all of a sudden you get to a way where you're like, I just can't bench anymore. Okay, well, cool. If you stop, um, I think I hit three reps at 275 recently, which is like my all-time max. And I remember hitting it and being like, there's no way now I can do more. So the next step for me would be loading 315, 325, up to 350, having a spotter and doing negatives. Totally. So I lower it down as slow as I can, and then they help me lift it up. I'm probably tearing the muscle more. I'm going to get more sore, but soreness and muscle damage are not directly tied to muscle growth. They're just parts of the journey when going to muscle growth, right? Especially at the beginning. If you start a new program, you're going to be sore. That doesn't mean you're building more muscle in week one than week four. In fact, you're probably building more muscle in week four because you can have more volume. It's just that you've adapted to it more, so you don't get a sore, which is good. Um, but if you never get sore, you're probably just not working hard enough. The point being is I do that slow, slow negative. So neurologically speaking, I get stronger and more comfortable holding heavier loads. And that's going to allow me to go, okay, let's go 280 now for that three. And I can be more likely to hit it because I implement those negatives every once in a while, which if I can do 280 for sets three, I'm doing more volume, which means I lead to more growth. So the negative might help me more that slow tempo, but it's very indirectly. Totally. So that's an, a situation where you would use it. Another situation that I commonly use it is to control the, the weights. So a lot of people don't have good motor control, which is basically saying, like if you do a dumbbell bench press and you're stronger than you're able to express in the dumbbell bench press because you don't have good motor control, meaning you're kind of shaking, there's no stability, you don't have good form, so you're trying to figure out how to press. There's not good motor control. So I'll go, hey, like instead of trying to press 50s, grab 35s, you're doing a three-second negative, two-second pause, two-second concentric. Like that's what we're going to focus on for the next month. Slow down, pausing at the bottom, slow up. It's with a weight that you can do a lot of. So by three quarters of the way of a set of 10, say you're getting to rep six, seven, eight, it starts to get really hard and you're getting a pump. It's getting pretty crazy, but you're controlling that movement and you're developing motor control. You're developing a more neurological sense of being able to do it. And there's more stability, right? Yeah. So it's teaching somebody how to do a movement better when they don't have that motor control. The other aspect of it is injury. So if somebody has a, a, an injury, it's because there's dysfunction. If there's dysfunction in a joint, one of the ways to prevent furthering that or improve that joint's movement or stability or mobility or whatever is to put it under load and slow down the tempo. So again, three-second negative, two-second pause, or just adding a pause or adding a concentric or doing something that allows them to go through a full range of motion and slow down so they can focus. Okay, my scapula is pulling back. I'm slowing down. I'm going to pause in the stretch position. I feel that stretch on my chest. Now I'm going to press through. I'm going to lock out my elbow. I'm going to pull my shoulder forward to protraction. You have the time to do that. If you're just cranking through reps, you don't have the time. But if you don't have the skill or you have a current injury, you can't do that properly quickly. Yep. Once you develop those things, now we go, hey, you don't need a tempo. I want you to go heavier and crank out more reps. Just get it done because your body naturally moves the right way 
we want more volume. So you're going to grow more. So tempo to me is more of a injury prevention. It's a, um, it's, it can be an intensifier for fun purposes, just get a gnarly pump or do something cool. Um, it can be a way to teach people better skill of movement and motor control, um, and develop a new lifter into being better lifter. Um, and maybe a way to improve strength if you're doing heavy, heavy negatives because you're just tapping out on a lift. But you can only do that on certain lifts, you know? Like, you're never going to do a negative deadlift. You're just going to fuck up your back. Like, it's pointless. Um, but I've seen people do isometrics. So putting so much weight on the bar that there's no way, like for me going out there and putting 700 pounds on the bar. I'm, just, I'm not even going to move <clears> it. It's yeah. like pulling the sword out of the stone of Excalibur, totally. right? You're just fucking pulling. So it's like, okay, get in a perfect position, pull, and isometrically contract for a deadlift for 10 seconds and you're doing wow. a neurological thing of creating maximal tension right then when you go back to trying to break that 400 pound pr you're probably gonna do it because you've built isometric strength neurologically so there's routes that these tempos and positive things can help um but they're not nearly as important as we thought they were i think they're more of like a, a learning tool to help lifters get better yeah if that makes sense totally all right good um that was great let's go Kerr. care Dude, K E R seven Y, carry in, carry in. This is a carry seven in cryptic Instagram name. Yeah. What's ideal for muscle maintenance when training for a marathon? Is it, hold on. Is it Anna at the end or Ann? It's not. I was gonna say seven, like Savannah. No. K E R seven Y N. I'm like treating it like a puzzle. <laughs> She's like, my favorite number is seven, guys. Chill yeah. the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's ideal f- uh, for muscle maintenance when training for a marathon? I am currently running three days a week, lifting three days a week. My lift sessions aren't too heavy because they will affect my runs, but I want to make sure they are effective enough to keep as much muscle as possible through this time. Do I need to st- still train closer to failure or just perform moderate to hard sets, but not to one to three I- RIR? few things. Number one, if you're not on my newsletter, go sign up for a newsletter. You can just sign up for the tailored nutrition method, which there is a link in this description of the podcast. You can go to the website, you find on the free guides. You'll be on my newsletter. I just wrote a really, really good newsletter that basically I needed like just literally copy and put it into an article. It was huge about our RPE and RIR. Yeah. And it was really, really good. Um, and I will post a summary of it on Instagram. It's a blog. It's a newsletter, mm-hmm. but I'm going to post a summary of it either tonight or tomorrow. Cause I have a post written up for on Instagram. Um, it's a perfect picture. It's that picture you took where I'm under the bench and my mm-hmm. veins are popping out my head cause I'm fucking pushing, but RPE, RAR, the ideal range for you to stay in is going to be uh, RPE seven to nine, meaning you're not going to absolute failure. Um, and you're still in that hard effort. And that's for most people. I would say in your case, you're probably going to want to avoid failure even more because you're lifting for maintenance while you perform a different activity or sport or, uh, energy system or training style in order to improve uh, that, that sport, like your skill at that sport. So if you're training so fucking hard that you're getting sore all the time, you can't express your talent in the sport. You can't execute there, which is what you're doing. Right. Um, so staying in that seven to nine range. And then the other thing is there's, there's some good research to show that maintaining muscle as an intermediate or advanced lifter only requires about five sets per muscle group per week, which is not much at all. So say you're training, she said three days a week, I think. Correct. So your quads. That means you have to do three sets of squats on Monday and two sets of lunges on Wednesday. 
Like, that's nothing, you know? And since, let's say, a squat and a lunge can be also kind of glued or whether it's not direct isolation, make it four sets on Monday, four sets on Wednesday, because then it's eight total. You're definitely covering your bases because there's secondary muscles involved. If you're doing a leg extension, it's different. You could literally do five sets of leg extensions on Monday once a week, and you would maintain your quad muscle. So it, it really doesn't take much in order to do that, right? So a good example of this is next month, I think it's next month that they're listening to September. I'm going to start boxing again, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which means I'm going to have to cut down training. So I've already calculated my volume I'm going to do. And on paper, I look at it, I'm like, fuck, I feel like I'm barely doing anything because I'm so used to doing so much more. But that's all I need to stimulate the muscle and help me maintain muscle. My goal is going to be to jump into boxing, have fun with it, and be fresh when I box because I want to perform well and just give it my all. Not that I'm going to go fight somebody or anything, but because I definitely don't plan on stepping in the ring. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I mean, working with that dude, I want to hold my own He's yeah. a beast, but like, I, I also still going to train, but I don't want to smash myself every time. And I also want to dedicate some of my lifting session to metabolic work because with boxing, I have power, I have strength. The part that sucks for me is after a minute, I'm fucking smoked. Yes. Yeah. That's why I was doing the conditioning yesterday. I'm, I'm actually doing more conditioning at the end of my workouts. You saw me doing the sled, salt bike at the yeah. end. I'm just adding a little bit to develop that system. Well, if I'm developing that system, I got to do less of the lifting. Right. Yeah. Um, but five just sets. More, just more volume. Yeah. Um, more volume of conditioning, less volume of, of lifting. Um, and for her, more volume of conditioning and energy systems, aerobic stuff, because she's running marathons, and less of lifting. You do not need that much volume to maintain. Five sets per muscle group per week is nothing. It really is very, very little. Um, so that's all you need to maintain muscle. You'll be totally fine with that. And then I would just do things that are going to promote good joint health and ligament health and stuff like that, because it's going to help your body just stay stable and stuff during the um during the running plain and simple you know yeah but yeah keep it very very simple um because she's just asking how much volume i need right that's the question five sets per muscle group per week you can go a little bit over that if you want to be extra safe but um you don't want to over fatigue yourself and you want to do movements that are not super strenuous on your joints and ligaments and you don't want to do rep ranges that are super uh, or loads that are super stressful on your joints and ligaments especially the ones that you for running, like for example, heavy, heavy squats are probably not the best idea because there's a lot of calf um, engagement and ankle dorsiflexion and plantar flexion, which means that you're going to have a lot of stress on the Achilles tendon. That is going to be getting a lot of stress when you're running. Same with your hip flexors. So squats might be something that you want to do uh, lighter or you do like a split squat because as you're squatting on one leg, you're stretching the other leg, you know, because the other leg goes into extension. Yeah. Um, so just things to think about, but volume wise, you don't need to do a ton. Totally. All right, we are going to go to the next question from Vinny Russo, WBFF Pro. It says, client scenario. Your client is following everything to a T. You trust them as they prove it via f- f- uh, photos of foods, always check-ins on time, gives very detailed check-in responses, and you just know they're really trying. So you put a maintenance and do and hold on. So you put them at maintenance and did to stagnancy, you feel it's time to dive into a deficit. Fast forward, and they are in a deficit for a while and not responding at all. After multiple manipulations, it seems like a lost cause. Which avenue do you go down first? Lifestyle, stress, digestion, blood work, labs? Then go And then, then go into what it's actually looking for when you drive down each one of these avenues. So I think they're just asking which avenue, after all these scenarios, would, would you personally go down yeah or or if not one of those why yeah uh this is actually a super easy question to answer because i think it happens more often than people like to admit is like you put somebody in deficit it's just not working so 
Number one, I'm going to look at blood work is actually going to be last unless there's something that I'm like, there has to be a red flag where, where I'm like, oh yeah, that's probably definitely hormonal. I think people result to blood work because they, they want an easy way out. Hey, buy this blood work. It's going to give us exact answers. And then when somebody spends $300, gets all their blood work done, and then you look at it and they're like, oh, all their hormones are totally fine. Um, or their thyroid's a little low. That's got to be it. Well, she's in a fucking deficit. Of course her thyroid's low. That's what happens when you're in a deficit. And when you go out of a deficit, thyroid's going to go up. So um, <clears throat> unless she has pre-existing thyroid dysfunction that has been determined by a medical professional. But blood work's usually one of the last things I do, um, unless I have a huge red flag. First is going to be lifestyle. And the reason it's, it is lifestyle is because it's so multifaceted. So, um, you know, let's say you're not tracking steps. Well, that's the first thing I'm going to track. So this happens all the time where people aren't tracking steps and uh, or they're just not pay- the coach isn't paying attention to it. They put them in a deficit and they're not losing weight, but it's because every time you drop calories, their step count gets lower. So their body is, it's a defense mechanism. Their body is adapting, which is why the second I put somebody into a deficit, if they're counting their steps and it's like, there's some people that are like, it just overwhelms me. I don't want to track that many things, of course, but most people are fine with it. Soon as I put you in a deficit, I'm going, what is your current average step count per week? 10K? Okay. Your goal is to just maintain that because we're putting you in a deficit via food. Your body's going to try to avoid stepping 10 steps, 10,000 steps a day. And I want you to make sure that you keep doing it because that's going to block one of the biggest causes of metabolic adaptation, stopping you from losing weight is your neat lowers, right? Some of that you can't control. You're going to talk less, blink less. I can't be like, Hey, keep talking a lot and make sure you fidget when you're at your desk. Like you can't control that, but steps we can control. So I'm going to look at that. I'm also going to look at adherence, you know, Hey, like uh, I want you to take a picture of every single thing you eat today and I want you to take a picture of the food on the scale for the foods that you have to weigh. So if it's a package, just take a picture of the package. If it's chicken, I want to see the scale because there's a lot of times where people get this wrong. I've even had people, I'm like, all right, you want to have about 30 grams of protein per meal. They weighed 30 grams of, of food or something like that. I'm like, no, that's, that's like five grams of protein. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, um, or they did it the reverse, right? Like, uh, they were weighing 500 grams of ground beef and they put 50 because they didn't understand measuring properly. Mm. Um, and 50 grams of beef is like a tablespoon. It's like literally like a spoonful of beef. And I, I remember like this actually happened. I, I was like, oh, so you're having a spoonful of beef? They're like, no, I'm having a whole fucking bowl of it. I'm like, yeah, that's like probably 500 grams. So let me teach you how to use the scale a little bit better. That's a common mistake where somebody can go, coach, I am doing every single thing right. What is going on? You can't just go, okay, well, they told me. I, I looked. I believe them. Well, of course. They believe themselves. They don't know that they're making a mistake. Yeah. So a lot of times with lifestyle, it's like, hey, are you walking less? No, I'm still stepping a bunch. Okay, well, let's track your steps and see if you actually are, right? Nope, you're not. You're stepping 5,000 less, which is normal because we dropped your calories. Your body's adapting. So let's bump that up to 10. Boom, they start losing weight. Hey, I want you to take a picture of every single thing you weigh because you might not be measuring things. No, I'm measuring things perfectly. Well, just take a picture. Let's just be sure before we go resort to blood work. Oh, nope, you're, you're mistracking this, this, and this. Or did you remember to track your oil? No. Or like, I just use spray oil. Okay, like, let me see your pan before you go. And they spray the pan. And if you look at the, even on Pam, which is canola oil, which I wouldn't recommend. But if you look at the serving size, it says zero calories. And the serving size is one-fourth of a millisecond of a spray or something. Or one-fourth of a spray. Or it's one millisecond. Or it's one-fourth of a second. Something so absurd. That's like, when you cook, do you just go, that's it? No, you're like, yeah. right? That's why when I use... Times 50. Exactly. Yeah. So when I use... Uh, I did this with... Uh, you remember Can't Believe It's Not Butter? Yeah. That spray. When yeah. I was prepping for my show years ago, I was like, 
I need something that tastes good. So I would steam broccoli and I would spray that shit on it. And it was amazing. It tastes really good. And I realized after a few weeks, it was the same thing. And I was like, I'm drenching this. So I'm actually have probably having like 10 grams of fat on my, my broccoli. But when I use olive oil spray, because we buy it from the store in a can, it's not like a, a self-compressed one, although I have that too. Um, it's the same thing. I put a teaspoon of olive oil in my MyFitnessPal yeah. because that's about five grams of fat. And I don't drench the pan. I use it lightly, but I use it. And I want to make sure that I'm getting it. I can't measure it, but I want to make sure I'm doing something to account for there's a little bit of extra fat here. Um, so there's little things like that, that that really do add up that you got to be on top of. You got to look at and check. Um, and then, of course, sleep. And then the next one you said is stress. That's the next one I go into is sleep, stress, um, uh, anything along those lines. Uh, the next thing I also will go into is training effort. Usually when we drop calories, training effort lowers too. And some people just don't understand. Just from hard, fatigue. Yeah, exactly. And energy availability. You just don't have as much calories coming in. So... Let's look at your training. I want to see how, how hard are you going? Do you understand the RPE scale? Do you understand the, um, the, the RIR scale and how hard you should be going to your proximity of failure, right? Because if you're not getting close enough to failure, you just, you just can't get there, right? Um, so I think, and w- what were the other ones that he, he listed a few? It was lifestyle stress Digestion. and then blood work. Digestion would fall into lifestyle, I think. I mean, biofeedback in general, you know, stress can affect digestion too, um, digestion is not going to affect fat loss unless it, there's a clear issue. So we have people that are like, my digestion is fucked up. And it's like, okay, that will absolutely affect fat loss because one, it's a stress. It's going to have a stress signal. Two, there's going to be inflammation in your gut. And three, you might not be absorbing nutrients properly. So yeah, it's going to be issue. But if I go, hey, do you have digestive issues? And you're like, um, I don't think so. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. Not sure, yeah. You don't. Like if you have digestive issues as a nutrition client, you're coming forward and saying, I have digestive issues. Yep. I'm gassy. I'm bloated. Like I, I don't shit, like whatever it is, that's an issue. Mm-hmm. So I usually don't look at digestion when I'm trying to troubleshoot plateau fat loss, because if there's a digestion issue, I already know about it because I'm communicating with the client. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it, for me, it's like, it's, it's lifestyle and adherence and neat and stuff like that. Then it's stress related stuff. Um, and then it's blood work at the very, very end. Um, and, and a lot of times before any of that too, I'm looking at just general quality of a diet. You know, I think that a lot of times people are playing too much if it fits your macros and they're like trying to fit in snack foods or, um, or even simple stuff like they're not getting and supplements aren't everything, but a lot of times people aren't even getting the basic supplements. They're not getting the things that they need to get. Even when it comes to, um, if we're controlling hunger and cravings, maybe they're eating like a little bit more than they say they are on every meal. Like I'm only eating one cup of this, but it ends up being about a cup and a quarter. I'm only eating four of these, but it ends up being kind of five because they just add a little bit. They track this much, and then when they eat it, they add a little bit more. Um, so when it comes to controlling hunger and cravings, when it control uh, comes to controlling fatigue management and um, inflammation and stress, when it comes to um, nutrients, like how many vitamins and minerals you're getting, which will play a role in all these things in your health, all those things need to be met, right? And that's going to happen from supplementation and dieting. Um, so dieting, Whole foods. Make sure you're getting whole foods. That's the biggest thing. If you're getting two to three servings of veggies, one to three servings of fruit, um, you're getting plenty of whole food, meats and and dairy and things like that, you're going to be fine, but you got to cover your bases. And you don't need supplements, um, which this will be a shameless plug for Legion. It's a perfect time for that. And they even say that on the front of their website. You don't need supplements and you don't, but they're going to help you. You know, if you struggle to get your protein, have have protein powder. If you're struggling to recover, 
have Legion's uh, casein protein before bed because it's going to slow down muscle protein breakdown, increase muscle protein synthesis, and keep that amino acid stream going throughout the night to help recovery. And there's studies to show that it helps muscle growth and recovery. Um, if you have inflammation or you have cravings or you have uh, even just you're not getting enough omega-3s or your omega-6 to 3 ratio is out of whack, make sure you're supplementing with fish oil. Um, one of the reasons I like Legion's fish oil is because it has over a thousand milligrams of EPA, which most supplement companies, if you look at it, like I have a lot of people that get Kirkland fish oil and it's just the, the quality one is questionable. It's Kirkland. I don't know yeah. where it's sourced, but the, the amount of EPA and DHA is way too low. And that's the main reason you're taking it. So I could take four fish oils from Kirkland and that's four grams fat. And I get a quarter of the amount of EPA and DHA, that's estimated, but I think it's about a quarter compared to four grams of fat of fish oil from Legion because mm -hmm. it's dosed properly, right? So taking your fish oil, making sure you do that. Um, vitamin, uh, your multivitamin, which is going to cover all your bases. And again, I've talked about this. Legion's multivitamin actually has enough of everything, of calcium, of iron, of zinc, of, of magnesium, of everything you need. Vitamins A, B, K, E, whatever. That's why you got to take eight of them, four in the morning, four at night. It's kind of obnoxious, but... It's actually high quality. Yeah. So covering your health bases. If you don't like veggies, that's a problem. Have their greens drink. It's not replacing vegetables. You still need to fucking eat your vegetables. But having the greens drink will be helpful. So there's a ton of little supplements that are just going to kind of promote better digestion, the gut, the balance one, better inflammation, the Fortify, which is a joint supplement. All these little things. Make sure you cover your bases with good health, good nutrition, good supplementation, the basic foundations. Um, obviously, Legion sponsors podcast. That's why I dropped their name when I was talking about supplements. Uh, you can head to buylegion.com slash boom boom. You want to save 20% on your first order and earn points after that. Get some deals continued in the future. But I would have brought up supplements here anyway. I think that the, the main take-home point is before you worry about any kind of crazy strategy on a plateau, check their general health. Are they getting the general health check lines of their diet and supplementation correct? Then go into lifestyle, habits, uh, environment, need their steps. Then go into stress management. Um, digestion should already be covered because you should have worried about that before you even hit the plateau. And then after all of this stuff and you're 100% positive, they're doing everything right, then you can go get blood work. Yeah. And you have a reason to do it. Yeah. Don't just jump to it. Yeah. All right, cool. That was good. Good breakdown. So let's go to the next one from Alexandra Fast. Can you talk about artificial sweeteners? I feel like when I Google search it, all I find is how bad they are for you. Yet, yet a lot of people say they aren't. I want to be able to sound educated on the topic, but can't find much support to support for my claim of they aren't really bad for you. So I'm not going to dive into this one simply because I'm recording a research review uh, in a couple days. Uh, with Brandon, and that's one of the topics is we're diving oh. into artificial sweeteners. So I'm going to save it, the juiciness for that, but I'm going to tell you you have nothing to worry about. Um, what I would recommend you do is go to, type in on YouTube, uh, artificial sweeteners Lane Norton. He has a couple videos on it, but he has one with a, a gut health specialist. She's a doctor in GI and gut. Um, so if there's anybody who knows what, like, because most of the, the people saying that artificial sweeteners are bad are people that say it fucks with your gut. And she basically just crushes that myth. I mean, at the end of the day, most of the studies are on rats or mice and you have to have the equivalent. You have to have so much artificial sweeteners. It's unrealistic. I mean, you're not going to sit there and drink six, two liters of uh, diet Coke, you know, cause that's like the equivalent of what you'd have to do. You'd probably drown before you fucking hit enough artificial sweeteners. Um, now some people have sensitive guts. So there are certain uh, artificial sweeteners that do mess with people's 
stomachs and you just have to be aware of that you know it's not a bad thing it doesn't cause cancer it doesn't mess with your liver it doesn't cause brain dysfunction like some of these fucking gurus and people claim um again these people claim it and then you look at the studies they're referring to and it's on mice and they basically drowned a mice in fucking uh, aspartame or sucralose and it's like well of course you know what I mean? Yeah. If you gave a human being 10,000 grams of vitamin C, they'd probably fucking die. Yeah. Are you going to tell everybody not to have vitamin C? No. But if you give one gram of vitamin C to a mouse and it dies, and then you tell people that vitamin C is bad, it's basically the equivalent, right? Because yeah. to a mouse, one gram is like 10,000 to a human. So point being, and that's that may or may not be a horrible example, but the point is, is they, they just, they take it and then they put it on a pedestal and they, they hype it up because they want to fear monger people. They want to, which I don't understand why. Yeah. I mean, it's, Again, it's just like that post. Like, it gets so worked up. And I'm like, dude, you literally have no evidence to prove your case. And he's like, I want to see your evidence. And I'm like, do you know how many studies there are to show that you need to be in a deficit for things to work? Like, I'm not even saying the carnivore diet doesn't work or keto doesn't work. I'm just saying if you do it, you got to be in a deficit, you know? It's common knowledge. I'm like, I mean, one of what you want me to send you one random one out of a hundred different studies? Like, it's just crazy. So people get really worked up and they get in these camps and they turn dieting into religion essentially. And it's just, it's, it's annoying, but, um, you have nothing to worry about. Uh, we're going to do a research review. So I'll save all the, like the, the hard facts on it for then. And that way Brandon can really articulate it properly. So I don't get carried away, but it is very annoying. I don't think you should fill your diet with artificial sweeteners because you'll probably get really bloated and uncomfortable. Um, and to me, it's, it's one of those things where it's not 100% natural. So you probably shouldn't, overdo it you shouldn't overdo anything so i I probably would avoid overdoing it um if you want to have artificial sweeteners every single day go for it i do i just don't drown myself in them. i don't i think in the research review you should go into quote-unquote overdoing it yeah 100 and i think brandon will because he'll be able to pull a study and show like what they actually do yeah um but yeah they're not nearly they're i mean they're not even close to as big of a deal as people think yeah yeah so there's not really any well, this actually, I could take that back. And then we'll talk about this with him too. But uh, like I was going to say, there's no health benefits to it, but you don't need to avoid it. But at the same time, there's research that shows using artificial sweeteners, like things in Diet Coke or, or uh, sugar-free foods or gum, whatever, helps people adhere to a diet because they can kind of cure their sweet tooth while not having the calories. In a cut. And it actually helps them lose weight. And if it helps them lose weight, they actually improve their health. So to, to an extent, artificial sweeteners are actually good for your health, especially if you're overweight. So it's kind of like, I mean, you know, I think it's unhealthy when I've had clients that are really, really, really lean and they probably need to reverse that and gain weight, but they're so afraid to gain weight that they fill themselves with a ton of yeah. sugar-free stuff and it's unnecessary. That to, to me, that's unhealthy because you're stopping yourself from putting good healthy weight back on because you're so afraid of it. Um, but for people overweight, it's amazing. Yeah. So. All right. So much for not going too much into it, but we no, will. I <laughs> it's hard. All right, so next question comes from Andra03CZ. says, how do I find out if higher fat diet works for me better than pushing the carbs up? Um, you got to do it. I mean, at the end of the experience day. Experience it? Yeah, experience it. Because research is going to be so mixed, you're not really going to be able to know, you know. Um, so here's here's where higher fats typically do work better for, for people. There's two scenarios where I can confidently say low carb, high fat does work better. Uh, number one is autoimmune related diseases that cause an inability to process, uh, or digest carbs correctly. So there are certain autoimmune diseases that do uh, actually get exacerbated. They, they, they get worse 
with the ingestion of carbohydrates and having glucose in their system. So for those people, yeah, you want to cut up carbs because obviously you don't want to make your autoimmune disease worse. Um, the other scenario would be uh, extremely obese individuals. These people usually have some form of metabolic disease or syndrome where they have hypertension, they have insulin resistance, they literally, they're just, they're just too overweight. Um, and this is where insulin can be a bad thing, like having to have insulin and so on and so forth. So you do need to go on a lower carb, but realistically, you really need to go on a low calorie diet. So, yeah. And that's where it's hard too because there's studies that show, there is studies that show like uh, low carb, high fat versus high carb, low fat and, and low carb, high fat outperforms in obese individuals. Usually those individuals aren't training. It's just diet intervention and they're obese. They have hundred plus pounds to lose and it does work better. Um, both groups are in a deficit, right? Both lose weight. The low, low carb, high fat loses a little bit more. There's also a lot of research that shows like the, if you've never heard of it, look up the, the rice diet experiment by mm. uh, doctor. I think it's doctor. Uh, fuck. It starts with a W. Um, but he, uh, Walter something, Dr. Walter something experiment. But he basically, what he did is he took these people that all had a hundred plus pounds to lose and he put them on a, a Kempner, 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 Kempner. Cool. He put people on a like 90% carb diet. So basically their diets were like 10% protein, 5% fat, and then like 85% carb. And it was pure rice. Like they were just eating a shit ton of rice and then they would have a fruit juice puree just to get some vitamins and minerals. And it was like, like literally puree. Like, wow. so, um, and it was purely just to get vitamins and minerals. So it was mainly rice. And he did it to prove a point of, if you put somebody in a calorie deficit, um, even if they are obese, have hypertension, all these things, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, all these things that they say you have to go low carb to fix, you're still going to improve all of those health markers that they claim high carb won't allow to cure themselves if they're in a calorie deficit and they lose body fat. And these people lost on average 160 pounds. That was wow. the average weight loss, which is crazy. Um, if you go look at the blog or the research, the experiment, the stu- the the before and afters are nuts. But it's just a good point. It's just proven a point that you don't have to. So now, now the biggest question, if he did that same study and he flipped carbs and fats, like 5% carbs, a ton of fat, would it be better? Maybe. Who knows? But the point is, is you don't have to. Mm-hmm. So high fat, low carb might be better for obese individuals. Um, regardless, you need a calorie deficit and regardless, they're going to work. So Will the high fat, low carb work a little bit faster? Potentially, Maybe. but will you be able to adhere to it as long? That's up to you. If you work better with low carbs, high fat, then 100% do it. If you work better with high carbs, don't skip out on the diet you'll adhere to and stay consistent with more to lose that 100 pounds if, you're, if you have an obesity issue just because a study says that it's going to help you lose weight faster. Because regardless, you're going to be at it for a while. So if it takes six months instead of five, do the six months. Totally. Because you might not make it to the five if you can't adhere to it. Um, now, if you're not in either of those two camps, there's either neutral difference in studies. So low carb, high fat versus uh, high carb, low fat. There's, they're either exact same weight loss results or high carb, low fat outperforms the other one. Um, the leaner you are and the less weight you have to lose, it, in, in definitely the more you're training. So if you're training at all, it's definitely a proponent. But it tends to be if, if those kind of things apply to you, the more likely it is that a high carb, low fat is going to work better for you. Is, is what I can tell, but totally. you're, you can read the research, you can make your own opinion and then you just have to try it yourself. Yeah. You know, cool. All right, cool. We're going to go to the next one. We got D Fitzel. He says, what course recommend or what course recommendations do you have? I already have my ACE PT PNL one going to do GG, GGS pre and postnatal next cause. I don't know. Next cause I want to start taking taking on these clients. Probably meant to say course. Oh. 
what recommendations would you have? N- uh, NSCA, CSCS, NASM, CES? Um, D Fizzle is a girl first. Oh, um, did I say him? Yeah, but uh, it's okay. You can't see pictures. Yeah. Um, what was the first part? I, mean, co- I don't care about co- the, the letters and all that. As what far as course recommendations do you have? Okay, so um, I'm assuming she's a trainer based on everything that she said. Um, I think that this is one of those things where you're going to work with a lot of clients that don't know any of those letters behind your name. You know, once you get a handful of, of certs, the letters do not matter anymore. You know, I don't care if you're screaming out. Like, I mean, if I put all the certs, it would literally be like the alphabet behind my name. Clients don't give a shit. At that point, they're just like, okay, dude, we get it. You know what I mean? You love nutrition. Yeah. We, they want to know, are you qualified to do this? Yep. Yes. Okay, I trust you. You know, that's, that's really all that matters. So what I would do in most of these situations, and this is going to be really simple advice, you have a quite a bit of certifications behind you. Um, you mentioned, should you go for CSES? I think that's a fantastic certification. It's the top tier of being a trainer. So if you're a trainer and you qualify to take it, because you have to have a bachelor's or greater, if you qualify to take the uh, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist, which is CSES, that's the top tier of strength trainers there is. So if you're going to take some, take that. That's definitely it. After that, if you're going to do it, just stop. Just stop. Because you don't need to keep like just doing it and doing it, doing it, doing it just to prove something, which I did this before. I was like, I'm just going to keep going. So I have more letters. And then at a certain point I was like, I'm spending so much time trying to get more letters and I'm not spending time experiencing what I learned that I'm not going to learn as much as I can. So focus more on, if anything, focus more on marketing and connecting and networking so you can get more clients and you can train more people because the more people train, the more you can apply. And that's when you're really going to learn a lot. Most of my knowledge comes from books and experience, not from certifications. So go just do the shit. Well, you, know? you say books, but certifications. Yeah, but all those books right there, yeah. none of them are part of a certification. Different context, not educational, but well. They're all educational. They are, yeah. Yeah, most certifications don't even, it's like usually you're like going through a video, like a webinar, and then you answer questions. It's like sometimes they do textbooks. Yeah. Um, and there's times where you do it. Like I, I haven't done one in a while, and I'm getting ready to do uh, another nutrition one that's like it's a it's a diploma level, so you actually have to get qualified for it. So if I didn't own the company I own, there's no way they would have probably accepted me because I don't have a bachelor's. Um, but uh, they accepted my thing, and and I'm probably going to jump into it because it's 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 basically the highest level of being a sports nutritionist that I can ever qualify for without mm-hmm. going back to get my master's yeah. essentially. Um, but I'm doing that for a few reasons. Number one, because I've I'm starting to have some more time, and I haven't done anything in a while, and two. Part of my job is to educate you. It's to educate the people listening and to educate the people following. And the way my company grows and my coaches can do more is if I keep staying on top of the research and doing more. I don't need more information to coach people better right now, but I do need more information if I want to be a better educator and teacher. That's the only reason I'm doing totally. it. It'll make me a better coach for sure. But I think at a certain point, and I did this in my career, at a certain point, I didn't do a cert for like two full years. So I was like, I need to just do work, right? And I think that's probably where you're at based on how many certs you just listed. Now, if you can pinpoint something that you you are not aware of, like, for example, the post-prenatal, like the prenatal stu- stuff, if you're like, man, I'm getting a lot of pregnant clients or post-pregnancy or, or pre-pregnancy clients and they want help and I don't know enough, 100%, go do that because you are accidentally falling into a niche that you could crush. You should go learn more about it, you know? But I think if you're just doing it just to kind of put more letters behind your name, I think that's where it's an issue. Um, and ultimately, either don't do any more and just start doing the work or do something that is very specific to the niche you're after. If you're doing it because you just want to be known as uh, the top trainer in your area, you want that qualification to give you just that, that like that stamp of approval. 
part of me is like, don't, it, there's no point. The other part of me says, go for CSCS. Cause if you're doing it for that and you're like, I just want to get one that is like the Don Dada of certs and then I'm done, go get CSCS. Cause you listed that one. It is a really good cert. And if somebody has CSCS behind their name, you recognize them. Totally. However, most clients don't because they're like, what the fuck is CSCS? Other coaches will recognize you, which is actually a good point too. If you're doing something because the letters, most of the people who actually know what the letters mean aren't going to hire you because they're doing the same. They're your competition. So it's kind of like, totally. eh. Um, but those are my general thoughts. Um, CSCS would be good. And then anything in your niche, otherwise just go experience. Just yeah. go get work. Good. I think uh, experience can outweigh textbooks sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, next one comes from Coach Frizzle. What does Frizzle remind you of? Snoop Dogg. Uh, Frizzle? Frizzle. The shizzle. Frizzle. Frizzle. Oh, oh. Snoop Izzle. I'm stupid. I was thinking the magic school bus. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. What? I've heard of it. Is Frizzle? I don't know. Maybe I'm just five years old at heart. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, right. The magic school bus I think of is, oh no, that's the yellow submarine. <laughs> that's the Beatles when they're tripping. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No. Okay, never mind. Yeah. Comes from Coach Frizzle. Uh, they have two questions. Number one, realistically. Wait, if, did we just answer D Fizzle? And now Coach Frizzle? D. Fitzel. Oh, Fitzel. Fitzel. Oh, so D. Fitzel may have been a dude. <laughs> I thought it was Frizzle because I saw I was thinking of Frizzle, and oh. I saw her picture. Oh. So the last question could have been dude. I don't know. This one's definitely a girl. I remember seeing hers. Let's answer her two. Those will be the last ones we close with. Okay. Uh, we got first one. Realistically, if we, if we time diet breaks appropriately and take them in longer lengths, how long could someone cut? It's really unlimited, honestly. It's it's based on health markers, and everybody's different. So we were talking about this in the group there for the coaches. Me and Brandon Roberts were going back and forth with the coaches, and I've had people successfully do 24 months, six months of dieting, and there was no problem at all. If they have the weight to lose, they're going to con- progressively get healthier as the diet goes on. So diet fatigue and, and hormonal adaptation, all those things, are far less of a concern of mine because they're literally getting healthier mm-hmm. as we proceed through the diet, right? Whereas somebody who is already lean, if they're dieting too long, they're going to get unhealthier as the diet goes. And that's where we, we have a, a worry, you know? So um, realistically, there's no, there's no end to it. So if you're taking diet breaks, you're doing maintenance phases, if health is there, you're fine. There's people who have like I said, we were talking about one of the last questions, 100 plus pounds to lose, they can diet all year, straight deficit the whole year, and they will continually get healthier and not have any issues. So it's completely dependent on the person and how aggressive you go. Um, I think having set timelines and, and specific fat loss, black and white numbers, I think it's just, you can't do it. 0.5 to 1% total body weight per week is like as black and white as you can get for like a weight loss recommendation. Otherwise, most people timeline is 12 to 24 weeks. And I like that timeline because 12 weeks is three months. You need at least that to do a successful diet and not do it the wrong way. Um, 24 weeks being a little bit longer for those who need more time due to adherence issues or they have more weight to lose. But when we have somebody who has a lot of weight to lose, I mean, there's no timeline. Yeah. As long as you're keeping them healthy and they're managing things, um, most people who have a lot of weight to lose will, will get healthier because they have less body fat and because they're uh, applying in, in practicing new habits that they've never had. So they were stressed out and not moving and eating fast food. And now they're eating more, they're less stressed, getting more sleep, and they're eating fruits and vegetables. So they might be eating a thousand less calories a day and losing weight, but all those things are making them healthier at the moment. Yeah. So until they get down 120 pounds and they're really lean and they're in a deficit, that's when you're like, okay, we got to get you out of this. Yeah. But it could take a year plus. Totally. So yeah, there's no 100% answer for that. Yeah. All right, cool. She uh, has a second question. It says, is there ever a time... When hormones cancel out law of thermodynamics, 
as in calories in, calories out. Example, someone with terrible hormone health not being able to drop weight or someone with great hormone health being able to eat way more than what they burn and not gain any weight? The answer is yes and no. So it doesn't cancel anything out. Calories don't cancel out hormones and hormones don't cancel out calories. Calories, uh, they, they affect and influence hormones and hormones affect and influence your caloric intake. And so what I mean by that is if somebody has horrible hormones, it's not because calories don't apply. Like, oh, they have bad hormones, calories in, calories out, doesn't matter. It means, like, example, their hormones are messed up, high stress. Now they have this cascade of, of cortisol, adrenaline, high stress hormones, and they have this decrease of thyroid growth hormone, uh, IGF-1, testosterone, whatever it is. All of those things cause multiple things. Number one, if we have high stress levels, adrenaline, cortisol, all those things, our nutrition is going to be, it's going to be needed in a certain way in order to decrease that. If we have decreased thyroid, IGF, all these other things, now our maintenance caloric intake lowers. So any calculation we do for fat loss or maintenance is not really that accurate. So poor hormones don't cancel out the fact that thermodynamics is fact and science. It just means that your equation for calories is just in a really shitty position. Bad hormones equals low maintenance, which means really steep deficit. So some people are like, I'm eating 1400 calories and I can't lose weight. Well, that's because the deficit is a thousand calories for you. You know, I don't recommend going to a thousand calories. I recommend fixing your hormones and getting healthier so that you can diet on an appreciable amount of calories like 1400, 1500, 1600. You're just not in the healthy place to do it. So, um, they don't cancel each other out. They, they influence each other greatly. Right. So, um, just like the more having a higher caloric intake leads to healthier hormones and people can ride that wave. So you mentioning somebody who has great hormone health and they can eat a lot of food, well, they have great hormone health, so they can eat a lot of food, which leads to them um, being able to eat more food, right? Because it's a cycle. Like, well, my hormones are healthy, so I can get away with eating more. But if I eat more, it actually boosts my thyroid and my metabolism and my activity. So I might actually be able to stay lean. And now it's like we're riding this wave. Um, and the same thing happens in the reverse. Like you drop calories, but not enough, but still enough to stress you. So cortisol goes up, but your hormones are shitty. So it's not low enough to lose weight. So you drop them more, which causes more cortisol and you might start losing weight, but now your thyroid and all those hormones are getting even lower because you're in a deficit. So it's a vicious cycle. They're together. This is why I hate when people try to say, again, this same person, like hormones matter more than calories. Yeah. Like literally word for word statement of somebody on a comment, really something like that. That literally is so asinine. You have no understanding of the science behind physiology or the biology of a human body because they work together. You can't cancel one out and not the other, you know? Um, and this is why some of the smartest people, Dr. Spencer Dodalski, uh, Lane Norton, who's extremely smart, but he's really well known for calling people out. It's the reason why they never get shut down or canceled or anything. They're right. They talk about like, yeah, hormones matter, but guess what? So do calories. You can't get away with exiting out either one. They're both too big of a piece of the pie and you need them both. Yeah. So, that's that. All right. Um, but yeah, so we'll close it out there, guys. Just a quick reminder. I, I mentioned at the beginning, check out the seven-day free trial. You can head to tailoredtrainer.net. Um, it'll take you right there. All of those links on that page, uh, it'll tell you more about the, the app and everything, but all those links go right to the seven-day free trial. We'll also put a link to that in the description. Um, now's your chance to test out what, in my opinion, of course, is the best training app out there that has the most variability, the most diversity of programming and types of training to truly tailor it to yourself. You get a ton of access to me for help, for guidance, for video demonstrations, for programming, for periodization, all that shit. Um, and it's literally less than a dollar a day. It's 27 bucks a month, but you can try it out for free for seven days before you make any type of 
of commitment, which there is no commitment because there's no contract to sign. So it's a month-to-month thing. But check it out, guys. TaylorTrainer.net. Catch you next time.